three. Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. It's your host, Scott Needham. I have with me someone that's in the trenches of Amazon FBA. I've known this person for a few years. He is one of the, you know, not, I get a lot of guests that like, I know they don't actually listen to my podcast. This guest does and has a lot of positive things. I have Isaiah from Online Selling Partner joining us. Hey, Isaiah, what's up? Thank you for joining. Hey, Scott, a long time fan of the podcast. And I would say it's been a personal goal of mine for probably years to get on this podcast. So excited to be here, dude. What, what have we done? I've been doing this. This is what's gonna, what's kind of crazy. I've been doing this for four years. I was um, there year number one. So I wasn't, but I went back and I listened to all actually, that. Here, here's a good question. How did you find the pod? Well, because I used to compete against Buy Boxer in the trenches oh. on, on the ASINs. And so I looked up all my competitors and I was like, hey, what's this guy doing? And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. that's how I found it. <laughs> We always hated buy boxer, right? Because you always were stealing the buy box and like way less margins than the rest of us. What's funny is when I started to get out there and start talking, every once in a while, someone would reach out to me and be like, hey, like, stop pricing low on this ASIN. I'm like, and I look yeah, at yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, you're right. Like, here, let me fix that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But there's a few situations I'm like, sorry, dog, we're getting out of this ASIN. So yeah. we're selling through and you won't see us anymore. So. Mm-hmm. I think we are very calculated in pricing. If something got stale, we got aggressive. And that's that, That's it. We noticed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, it's been great. That's how I found out about you originally. Then I started following you online and uh, found out about the podcast. And I was like, this guy is producing some real awesome content. I remember one of your big advice back in the day was coupons, coupons, coupons. <laughs> it's such an easy lift. Yeah. And I love about coupons is I feel like it teaches you marketing. There's so many layers to it. For example, like the Amazon employee that told me this, I feel like we're rehashing, but like, it's it's just cool. The Amazon employee that told me this, he's he's like, Hey, you know, some things they bring in new people. They bring in discovery. Coupons don't do that. They don't. They are a click through and a conversion tool. Whereas other deals actually can bring in new audience. That's what advertising does. Like sponsor products is like brings a new audience. It doesn't guarantee click through or conversion, but it increases discovery. Okay. So yeah, I love that stuff. I still use coupons, think they're valuable and even underutilized. I can make an argument that literally every single product should have a coupon. Just raise your price $5, put a $5 coupon, win-win. Yeah. We've definitely done some some studies on that also. And I would say it just depends on the product and the situation. Sure, of course. Like I'm, I'm not going to die in that hill, but like yeah. it's an interesting conversation of its own. Let's find some hills that we're going to die on. One yeah. of them is that, is that, you know, Amazon FBA is awesome. You could do a lot of revenue. And tell me when you figured that out. I want to hear your backstory. So Isaiah is successful, definitely a large-ish uh, Amazon seller, you know, is past the $10 million mark. Yeah. And probably what's funny is I have a few people in my sphere that have done it at a younger age, and I think you are one. Thanks. So tell me your story. Awesome. Well, I will have to say that my story definitely starts with my mom. So she would take us to yard sales as a kid and buy products and sell them on eBay. So we started flipping stuff on eBay as long as I could remember. My mom was on eBay and before I was born in 98. 
And back before they had PayPal, right? It was just money transfers uh, over the mail. I don't even know what that is because I've never sent a money transfer. It still feels weird to think that eBay transaction happened by sending a check. That feels weird. There's so many like layers for like fraud. Yeah, exactly. So that how it happened. There was no photos on the listings back then. She said it was way better because there's way less competition, way less sellers. But anyway, so we grew up around just the eBay side hustle. You know, I'm the oldest of nine and seven boys. And we're all entrepreneurs because of my mom, I would say 100%. So eBay is the gateway drug to selling on Amazon. Nothing else is as close. Yeah. And it's so easy. Anybody that asks me about how to start selling online, I'm just like eBay. Just go to your local Goodwill, flip some product, and it'll teach you all the basics. So that's what happened. And then when I was 15 years old, I came to mom and I said, hey, I'm on Amazon here. And I noticed that this uh, Pokemon Game Boy Advance game was selling $10 more on Amazon than it was on eBay on average. And I said, there's a little button here that says sell on Amazon. Can I just click it? She's like, oh, no, you know, it's probably too complicated or whatever. But I finally talked her into it. So I sold this Game Boy game in literally 60 seconds. I was just $1 cheaper than the lowest price. And I was like, wow, that was quick. So I think it was that moment when I realized either, wait a second, did I like drastically lower the price? No, this is $10 more than eBay. And it sold in less than a minute. That's pretty amazing. So then I put something else on there and it just, I was like $2 cheaper than the next guy. Boom, it sold. I was like, wow. And then just kept doing that and realized there's something here. So how long ago was that? That was 2015. That was after I started selling. The market was fairly mature by then. Yeah. January 1st, 2015 was the day of my first sale. I don't know why January 1st, but that was the day. Then, you know, you started to pursue eventually what is a lot of people call wholesale. It's where you yep. work with brands and distributors. So you grew from that. I generally like to do a podcast if I have like a conversation topic that I'm like, ooh, this is ready to talk about. I'm ready to talk about this. I think you're in the trenches enough that we're going to learn a lot. So you were telling me this story of, you know, you see NetRush and Pattern doing their thing. And um, by Boxer. And by Boxer uh, yeah. doing their thing, working, you know, they got some exclusives. You're like, how do I apply it? So what are the next steps for you? Yeah, so... I seen that you guys were doing this, but I'm going to take you back a little bit more. In 2018, I was really into selling liquidation. I actually got my Amazon account shut down because I did not have valid invoices from the manufacturers and distributors. And so I had hired an Amazon consultant to help me. Amazon was holding $40,000 from me. It was a big nightmare and it was just terrible. So finally, I got a hold of somebody on LinkedIn that was Jeff Bezos's technical advisor, which I found out later from the most recent Brad Stone book about Amazon is that Jeff Bezos's technical advisor was someone that would shadow Jeff Bezos for a year and basically download on Jeff Bezos and then Jeff will put them in a leadership position like Andy Jassy. He was a technical advisor. Yeah. So I got a hold of the technical advisor for that year. And within 48 hours, I had my money back in my account and a personal call from Seattle. I and love that. And I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> I love it that like, you know, you got the resolution. I hate that's what it took. 
yeah, it was o- over 40 appeals. I did everything, and that's what it took. Oh, my just, goodness. Just because I didn't have valid invoices. I, I, I hate that a subjective letter that just says the, you know, basically the words that you say that don't always have to be followed. Like, there's no, like, accountability, but I don't feel like the plans of action, while they're good, the process that they get received, it's not very clear. I think um, it's a lot better now, though, from what I've noticed. It's still bad, though. No, I actually agree with you. Like, you know, now we do some stuff and, like, we don't get suspended. <laughs> like, there's a bit of clarity now that I feel. That's how I, I think your question was asking about, like, getting into the model that I am today. And what that forced me to do is force me to seek manufacturers and distributors instead of liquidation. So I went on my phone and I typed in manufacturers near me and I just knocked on doors. I just so happened to hit a manufacturer. It was a candle company and they were on Shopify. They had been shut down off of Amazon also for late shipments. And they were doing about a million a year on Shopify. And I said, hey, I will sell your products on Amazon but they said, well, we have another seller that's going to do it. And that seller, the first month, sold 18 candles. And I sold 1,000 candles. So they said, we're going to just go with you. And so that was my first exclusive, in a sense. But I was still doing wholesale. Like, I was still buying from distributors. Did you, know. you build the product pages? Yes, I did everything. Interesting. I would actually say that was risk. That effort that you put in was like, you didn't, there's no guarantee. There was no guarantee, but uh, I did it all FBM. It was dropship at the beginning. And then as the ASINs would start selling, I would start uh, stocking them FBA. It was just the risk of my time at that point, which at that time, you know, I had time, you know, it was just beginning. So I recommend that to anyone, you know, to take that risk. If it's just a risk of your time, you know, to list some products uh, for a brand that's not on Amazon and just start off dropshipping. I mean, that's a great way to start. So that was my first exclusive. And then obviously I've seen, I tried to get a deal with, you know, Benchmade knives, which, you know, I liked Benchmade knives and whatever. And, and they were like, I, I remember talking to the sales rep and said, he was telling me about Netrush and he was saying how Netrush was amazing and how they had an exclusive deal with them. And I said, what made you sign with Netrush? And he said, because they came to us and cleaned up all the counterfeiters on eBay. And it hit me. I was like, wow. You know, it's about a real partnership with the brand on whatever their needs are. It had nothing to do with Amazon that Netrush got the business of Benchmade. It was Netrush fixed a problem that brand had on eBay. And so I just remember thinking, wow, you know, it's all about the relationship. It's all about what can I do for the brand that's best for them? But the ultimate, you know, reward is to be able to be their exclusive seller on Amazon. Because that is obviously where the sales are and where you can grow it. And then also when you get that, you can show the brand, hey, we can do a lot more exclusive than we can, you know, as just one of the millions of sellers because we can control price points. We can really be motivated to update all your A-plus content, all your storefronts, all your advertising, which you, you can't even advertise unless you have the buy box anyway. And then it becomes a lot more about the brand fighting other brands than the brand just fighting all the other wholesalers that are on the listing. So yeah, I just knew it was the future. I knew that's, I was in a lose-lose situation where if I was just one of the 17 brands on a listing, I was not providing any value to the brands. I was just a leech off of their brand. And I knew that to really 
I agree with you if you're one of 17. If yeah. you're one of three, I still think that the, there's a value. I mean, I went through this. I was like, what is BuyBoxer actually creating for this world? I was like, yeah. oh, we are a price and availability. And if you're one of three, like you actually do change the market. If you're one of 15, I don't know if you are, but that's not to distract from the point you were making that there's even more impact is to be yeah. a brand partner. Yeah, because price and availability at the beginning, 20 years ago, that made a lot of difference. But now there's a lot of wholesalers out there. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of people out there that will provide that. Yeah, you say some interesting things. It's not like I'm going to get net Russian pattern on this podcast and actually really talking about their partnership strategy or their like, you know, strategy yeah. for getting exclusives. But as you sit and think like, you feel like there's space for more, you have found success. Do you still feel that? Do you think like, you know, these wholesalers, they can turn to this, that you don't feel affected by that? Yeah, this market is, is huge. This is a huge blue ocean. I don't see any stop to it because every brand out there will need a company like us in 10 years. And think of it like this. This is the way that John at Pattern explained it to me. And it made a lot of sense. He said that he used to work in the cloud, you know, industry. And, and like 20 years ago, everybody had their own mainframes, their own servers and everything on site. And now everybody uses AWS and Google Cloud and stuff, but everybody was reluctant to, to change to a cloud service because they were like, oh, you know, we do it our way. This is the way we do it. And, but then it just became way less efficient and that you're doing all of this IT stuff in-house when Google has figured out how to do it at scale for way right. cheap. So it doesn't make any sense for you to do it in-house. And that's what's gonna happen with companies like ours is all we're doing is we're buying your product and we're selling it at a margin. And if we can continue to lower what that margin is, it doesn't really make sense for you to do it in-house when someone else out there at scale, like a pattern or online selling partner or NetRush can do it better than you in-house and cheaper because you have to hire advertising managers, agencies, extra help in the warehouse to figure out all of the Amazon complexities. And then you think you have enough FBA storage, but you don't. And then, you know, all, all of this stuff that happens and all the headache. You know, I, I talk to VPs of sales of brands all the time and they say, Amazon is literally 40% of my headache or 50% of my headache. And if I can take that headache off of a VP of sales who doesn't have enough resources anyway to manage Amazon, because Amazon's just a piece of the puzzle to them and just give it to a brand like us where we can just do it at a margin with no risk to the brand. It just makes a lot of sense. We become the new. I like that. You actually de-risk the brand. But then, you know, some people will argue like, well, a brand could get more upside if they took it over. I won't argue with that. Depends on how good they are at their in-house and it depends on how good their brand partnership that they're working with, just like anything. Yeah, then, then you start to lean into all the things, you know, it's a channel. Think of it like uh, retail is a channel, uh, like, like, sorry, brick and mortar is a channel, Shopify is a channel and like Amazon's a channel. It is. And yeah. There's more than one successful way to do retail. Nike like blows it out of the water in both brick and mortar and direct. Try and tell them to change their strategy. Like, <laughs> you know, they're not going to. They know that they need both. Interesting. 
Same with Amazon. Like, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. I won't fault anyone for doing one way or the other. Like having it de-risked, having, oh, I feel like we're off on a tangent, philosophizing if this is like a worthy, I don't care about that. Let's go back into how to do this well. Yeah, that's a good question. I think, I think a lot of people are like, ah, that's probably what we want to listen to because I want to learn. I'll be honest, I'm not in the trenches. When we were getting uh, brand deals, like I was not in the trenches. I get brought into calls to be like, hey, can we do this? Oh, this is oversized. How can we do this? Because I knew our operations. You've been in the trenches with these conversations and yes. still are. So, you know, but not every deal's worked out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, now, how do you feel like, you know, if you have a new lead that comes in and they're like, oh, they're kind of interested, maybe they're shopping around, maybe they're not, they have yeah. a problem with Amazon. What's your approach? Well, I was actually uh, talking to a lead today. So this is a perfect example. So this guy was, here's the thing, is every brand has a different story. Like the first brand that I mentioned earlier with the candles, they got kicked off Amazon and they really didn't have a backup option. There's a lot of brands that are selling Vendor Central that Vendor Central is not accepting price increases anymore. So that's a big issue we're seeing today in the last few years is Amazon will not accept a price increase and the prices across the board have gone up with inflation. So a product that Amazon was buying at $5 or $10, now the brand to even make any money has to sell it at $12 or $15 and Amazon just says no. So they feel like they don't have another option besides just selling it to a third party uh, seller or selling it through their third party account, which there's also surprising enough, a lot of nuances to a brand transition themselves from vendor central to seller central. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's actually easier to go through a third party seller. And so, you know, with those types of brands, we're having great conversations with, you know, we, it's amazing. Every category is different. Everything's different, but that was the conversation I was having today. And I was saying like, we can just go ahead and start selling on those, you know, 600 ASINs that Amazon just is not accepting price increases are. And not only that, you know, your pictures are from 2012. You know, we need to update all of your content. We need to update your storefronts. We need to you know, actually have an advertising strategy. We need to focus on other brands out there and taking their market share, not just listing the product you kind of give them a plan you're like that's basically uh what you do is you just talk them through like hey here's a plan i know this here's the data to back it up here is case studies they brands need case studies and you say you've done this before you know so it's really hard starting out when you have no case studies especially in that category so you know one thing that we've noticed is if you have case studies in the category that the brand is in you become way stronger in your sales pitch I feel like, I mean, this is just me. One of the use cases of smart scouts, we show like market share and brands understand that. Mm -hmm. They know like they're like, oh, this is the potential $2 million a month. And we currently have 3% of the market share. If you present that data just once, they can't unsee it. They get it. They're like, oh, I see this. Do I want to play this game? And most are going to say yes, because most people in business, they just want to win. I like giving them a plan. And, you know, if you don't have a case study in that category, there's data sources out there that can Absolutely. build that case study. And I will just say, Scott, just to tell everybody out there, we use Smart Scout every day 
from evaluating the brands <laughs> that we want to go after. To go on, go on, go on. Yeah, we use it. So, you know, we can say, hey, we find that brands in this category doing this amount of revenue with this amount of Amazon vendor central, you know, like, like we know that if a brand's around 50% or around that area, not 100% Amazon vendor central, then they're going through some transition already and they're trying to figure out what's going on. So like that might be, you know, some sort of parameter that we put into Smart Scout. We're always putting different parameters into Smart Scout saying, hey, I want my average price for that this brand is to be over $50 or whatever. And, and we're trying to find and hone our target list, you know, and so we start with Smart Scout. And then we, when we actually have conversations with brand, we use the Smart Scout data to say, okay, here's all the ASINs that you have on Amazon today. Here's how they're performing. Here's your market share. Here's, hey, this one, you know, has only got one photo. The brand score is really low, you know, all this stuff to be able to provide a really good case to the brand. And then we use it internally to be able to see how are we performing on the brand and how we're making them better over time. Let's see, man, there's a lot of parts that you said that like are truly interesting. And I don't know, I just like uplifting people's knowledge about Amazon and the opportunity it is and is not and how a seller can fit in a seller like yourself. Here's the interesting thing I want to know. I really think if we get SmartScop into the direction that like I fully want and it's there right now, but you start to understand like, oh, what's an unbeatable offer? If a brand really understands their like customer audience and then you bring in Amazon data, you're like, oh, at this price point, we can do this, this, and this. This is an unbeatable offer. I like to think that a smart brand can also do product development with data and leaning into like Amazon as a very maturing market. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see Amazon private label brands successfully do that every day using, you know, your old tools like Jungle Scout and Helium 10. You know, they're always, you know, hey, Amazon search data for this term or whatever it is. And, and there, there's a low amount of competition. So we see that in the private label market all the time. And these established brands to be able to, to get that mindset that these new, like, you know, Amazon brands have, it would just be. And they do. We're seeing some that like they can kill it. Now, one thing that like you say, and I kind of say is like, I'm getting this exclusives. It is a form of sales. Like Pattern has a business development department of like what, 50 to a hundred people. Yeah. It's insane. It's like, insane. that is sales and yeah. they're courting these relationships. They're targeting them. They're communicating and they're winning a lot of those conversations. You were talking about creating pipeline to get yeah. like a lot of these deals coming in. What's been beneficial for you? First off, anybody out there knows that until you can sell anything, you have to have a really good product, right? It's hard to sell something that doesn't exist. So it's kind of like this, this chicken and egg problem when I was beginning. I was like, this is what I want to pitch to brands, but it's like I don't have a lot of case studies or experience. Now I have case studies and experience and can really show I'm getting a, a really good product, which to us, our product that we sell is our infrastructure and our team. So you know, I've been spending most of my time in the last two, three years focusing on building my team. I've built from zero to 32 people, and most of them are local Americans that work here in Indiana with me. And we've really focused on, like, we want to be the best Amazon growth machine in the world. That is our goal. I didn't even know what I needed for that as far as like positions and team members. And, and for us, we have our own warehouse. So we have a warehouse team and we do 
Amazon and Amazon FBA better than anyone else I know. I mean, we are really good at keeping our turns extremely low, and which is very important because you don't want your storage fees. And we are really good at, at getting stuff in and out. That's something that we started with and we've been doing from the beginning and we have a very good team there. As far as account management, Amazon advertising and just Amazon content and all that, like that's been a huge struggle to because you're, you're building this from scratch. As a wholesaler, you start out, you're flipping boxes. I mean, you're buying something for a dollar and selling it for two. You're not really thinking about, hey, how good is their first image? Like, it's not really the first thing that you're thinking of, right? You're just, you're just buying and selling. So building out that over the last two years has definitely been like a struggle, but a huge reward now that we're, we really have built an awesome team there. And then building a, uh, a really good Amazon backend operations team for catalog, which as you know, Scott, it was most of your job probably <laughs> at, at BuyBoxer is focusing on how to make the Amazon seller central work for you, not against you. It's been crazy. So that's just an awesome challenge to work through. There's not really anybody out there that is, teaches you how to do that. So that's what we've been doing. And then we have to be able to take all that and say, I'm selling this to this brand for free. I mean, we don't charge anything. We just buy your products. We take a small margin and you have access to this whole team. You have access to I would say some of the best Amazon catalog managers. You have access to some of the best Amazon advertising managers out there. You have access to one of the best Amazon fulfillment centers and network. That's what we have to present to them. But it's like you have to say it and more like this is what we've done for other brands. This is what we can do for you. That's kind of how the sales process works. But one huge thing you have to watch out for is partnering with the wrong brands because that has been a huge mistake we made and we're constantly focusing on partnering with the right brands. That's why we're like an invitation only company because we don't want to just work with any brands. Like imagine, like I was looking at a brand today, they sell potent hazmat chemicals in five gallon buckets. Okay. Yes, we could grow their Amazon sales. We could do things for them. But it's like, do I really want to change all of my processes and everything I've built to be a hazmat five-gallon bucket operation? Because that is a huge operational drag. You know, at the beginning, we were just getting any business that we can. And we would partner with these random operational headache brands. And then like a brand that was very breakable or something like that. But not only that, we'd also partner with brands that were too small, like brands that we put the same amount of work and effort to make the listings beautiful for a brand that was only selling 100,000 gross revenue and we might only be making 10,000, 15,000 profit on a brand that's doing a million dollars in gross revenue a year where we're making 100 or $150,000 gross profit on. So figuring out, okay, we have to work with brands that are decent size for the amount of time and effort and cost that our team is <laughs> that we put into these. So that's some things I've learned over the last couple of years. When you are seeing a brand, like you say that like, or maybe they're in a transition phase, 50% in stock rate of Amazon, who do you reach out to like that? You're like, Hey, I think there's an opportunity here. It always seems like ownership gets involved because eventually uh, we usually start in the sales department, whoever's in charge of sales, but eventually it goes up to ownership because it is such a marriage. Most brands that we work with in most categories 
somewhere between 10% to 80% of their revenue comes from Amazon. It's always a huge channel for them. So that's why if they're going to sign off and marry to online selling partner and say, all right, here, you have 20% of our business or here's 30% of our business, they better be convinced. They better be convinced that we're not going to mess up. And so building trust and building that relationship is just so important. So I would say, yeah, it usually starts in sales and marketing, and then we end up always talking to the ownership. Do you get more success with like outbound, like where you guys like reach out to these brands or, or inbound? Do you get inbound leads? Right now, outbound and referrals are big for us. So referrals right now, you know, I've been really focusing the last couple of years, really building my network of people that know who we are, especially people in the industries that we want to work in, which, you know, we're very focused in patio, lawn and gardens, sports and outdoors. And we want, there's a lot of benefit to be focused, but I mean, we do other industries as well, but we're trying to go after those verticals. So if we can get good referral partnerships and we have a really good referral program where we pay like 1% of gross revenue. So if we're, you know, if we're selling, you know, a million dollars a year, which is like a minimum for us, then you're going to be getting $10,000 a year by just referring that. So we have a pretty good referral program. And then also outbound is huge for us because we're an invitation only company and we only want to work with brands under certain parameters. We're pretty picky. That's really successful. So we have not done a lot with inbound yet. I'm trying to build my LinkedIn. I'm trying to, you know, our company's trying to start doing some things and Maybe I should do a podcast. Well, you probably know this. Inbound is the best. Yes. The hardest. Yes. <laughs> uh, actually, inbound is like, you know, it's the network effects. It's the referrals. You know, if they're not in market for a solution, you can only make an impression. And yeah. so if they do become in market, then you're like, okay. Yeah, no, absolutely super hard. I wonder if I had taken all of my like, you know, engine of uh, content and funneled it into buy box or partnerships, where would we be? I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> well, I will say that SaaS has a lot better multiples to sell. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's also just been um, kind of a passion of mine to focus yeah. on the, the software thing. But there's maybe, but also has, like there's a different risk profile, like how many SaaS businesses like get zero attention. Don't solve anyone's problem. That's a story for another day. So yeah, you want to create inbound. I mean, that's not easy. That could be a whole other podcast of how to create inbound. I've got a lot of ideas, millions of ideas, but the problem is there's infinite work in creating that. So now here's a question. You, you said something about hiring people. You yes. didn't always know who to hire outside of logistics. What were like some of your first, you know, hires? that were kind of charged with, you know, the, uh, let's just like the other side of Amazon FBA, the business development side, or maybe even operations, but from a, wet, a browser, not from moving around pallets? Yeah, that's a great question. I love talking about my team because what I'm most proud of what we've done is we've created a win-win-win situation, a win for the employees, my team, a win for the brands that we work with, and a win for Amazon customers that are getting a better experience. So my team, I started off, I still don't know anything. I didn't go to college. I didn't have any experience in the workforce, you know, besides some you know minimum wage jobs before I did this. I hired a guy 
that I had known for a while as a good COO. And he had been just in business operations for Fortune 500 company for a very long time. He was super nice guy, really aligned culturally, and that was my first big hire. And then I hired somebody to focus on Amazon Seller Central all day long, and that was their job. And that was my first, besides of logistics, besides a warehouse, putting on labels, those were my two first hires. And then from there, I hired a supply chain, which people like, you know, buying products and, and keeping things in stock and all that. Then I hired a uh, sales person that it's really start building relationships. I mean, obviously at the beginning, we were all wearing, you know, different hats. That was kind of the next logical step from those pillars. And then we built account management after that. I'm a huge fan now of EOS and entrepreneur operating system. So I found out that I'm very much a visionary and I feel like my job is like the big problem solver, the pioneer. I'm always in every part of the company. I'm in the weeds for at least the first part of it. And then my COO is my integrator, and he's a great integrator, puts everything together. And then from there, we have, we branch off from operations and sales and finance. And more recently, I hired a really good controller last year, and that that, that was a huge, awesome hire. Yes, you got to have somebody that's really good at finance, especially if you're a visionary entrepreneur. It's not always your focus is the bookkeeping and the finance. And so it's been really nice. It sounds like those hires like allow you to be the quote unquote Amazon entrepreneur because yeah. like they're not going to know like Amazon and stock rate and like the nuances around that, like what it means, what it doesn't, how to talk to brands. There's so many parts and I really appreciate what you were saying about, you know, you, you're the pioneer. I feel it. I have a hard time leading people if I don't have a decent idea of how to do their job. Correct. Or if I'm not willing to. And there's a few that I probably won't be able to do, like bookkeeping, like I need to know how to talk to you, but I'm not gonna I don't think I'm gonna take a course on uh QuickBooks. I'm sorry. Just like it sounds terrible. It sounds like a bad use of my time. But do I want to learn more about finance and accounting? Yeah, I do. I, I still need to. I talk all the time to like learn more. I think that's a really cool story. If like you actually take a context of how we started this conversation to what you were talking about now, starts on eBay, ends with uh, hiring a financial controller. That's a big journey. And so congrats. We're just beginning. Yeah. Congrats on getting there. And, yeah. you know, I'll have plenty of chances to uh, learn about the steps that you continue to go through. And, you know, we'll watch. You are involved with Ecom Summit. That will probably be have already happened by the time this podcast goes live. This might go live before AMZ United and excited to see you there. I hope that you can see some incremental margin increase in your business because of it as, as we pull, bring in experts, including really the, the best minds of wholesale to truly understand what it means to optimize an FBA business. And I really appreciate it, Scott. And I'm really looking forward to AMZ United. Yes, uh, Ecom Summit, which EcomSummit.com is, you know, we have a very similar vision in trying to grow each other's profitability. That's our only goal, um, just to make ourselves open and vulnerable that we can get real about the numbers and say, hey, and, you know, anybody can always reach out to me because I like to try to be as transparent as possible and say, hey, this is what works. This is what doesn't. And ultimately, I think that if you're in the wholesale game and you're just another seller that's just 
number 17 on the listing, I think you should be thinking about long-term and, and figuring out, am I always just going to be chasing after the next deal? Or am I going to try to find a deal that's harder to get, like a brand? And then you can be partnered with that brand for five plus years and you constantly be reaping a greater reward. So that's the game I'm trying to play now. Perfect. Well, thanks, Isaiah, for coming in and talking. Your company, Online Selling Partner, you are an open book. Uh, we never said your last name. So if people want to find you on LinkedIn. Yes, go to LinkedIn, Isaiah Fritz. Just look me up, send me a connection request. And I will definitely accept and then love to network with as many people as possible. And if there's any way that I can provide value to you, yep. you know, I'm here. Well, thanks, Isaiah. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episodes. And actually, I hope I see you guys soon. You know, uh, Ames United. Keep using Smart Scout. It's oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> okay, thanks, Isaiah. We'll see you guys. One, two, three. Yeah!